The question should never be how close can I get to the world and not compromise. It should always be how close to that wall can I get? How close into the things of God? How close to Jesus can I get? How much can I divide my life? How much can I get to uh, more of God in my life? That should be the question that we ask when we're examining our lifestyles. In the modern church, teachings on holiness are often ignored or dismissed as being outdated. But the Bible is full of people that were called to be holy and to separate from the world around them. The author of Hebrews even declares that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Clearly, God is calling us to leave our love for this world to draw near to Him. In today's show, preacher, author, and Pure Life graduate, Dustin Renz looks at this vital subject and asks this question. What is hindering us from a deeper walk with God? I'm Nate Dancer, and this is Purity for Life. presence of God's here. It's amazing. Um, I wanted to start just by thanking Pastor Steve and Sister Kathy and the Pure Life staff just for the amazing privilege of being here. I feel like the least likely candidate to be speaking here at the conference, and this is amazing. I want to um, open up just with a thought about the conference theme that kind of jumped out at me when I first um, heard it. Faith for the future. When we talk about the future in our times in the church world, I think a lot of us, maybe all of us at times in the body of Christ, we, we look at it and there's just a fear and an anxiety that kind of looms over what's coming. Um, we see society collapsing all around us, immorality escalating. You see marriages breaking, the family units breaking apart. We see nation rising up against nation. You see violence out in schools. I mean, you see all these things, and, and if we're not careful, we, we kind of can fall under just like a hopelessness almost and wondering what's going to come before us. And we can really focus too much attention on what Satan is doing on the earth in our day. We can fixate so much on the darkness that it just becomes this thing. And I experienced this a few months ago. I don't, I don't follow the news, but a friend at work asked me if I had heard about this scandal that had taken place in the Christian community. And I, I looked it up and, and did a little research and was praying for this man. But um, this man fell. Um, it was a, a secret life exposed. We've heard the story over and over again. Someone who's supposed to be displaying the Christian life and, and something comes out and the world just loves to eat that stuff up and it's all over the news. And the day before, I had heard about ISIS attacking and putting Christians to death and there had been a shooting recently and I, I was in prayer and I just felt this weight over me. I don't know if you felt that, but I just had this almost like a hopelessness wondering, God, what's, gonna be, what's the world going to be like in five years from now? What's it going to be like in 10 years? What are my kids going to have to face when they grow up? And, and I was just asking all these questions and feeling almost like, like what hope is there in the earth today? And, and I, I paused for a moment in prayer, and I, just, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what do you think about this? 
You know, I know what I see, and I know that he sees the same thing from a totally different perspective, but what, what do you see when you look down? What is, what is your concern? What are you looking at? What are you concerned about in these days? And, and I felt like he downloaded this revelation into my spirit that I just believe it's really changed the way I look at things. I felt like what he shared with me is that God's greatest concern in the last days that we're living in is not the darkness on the earth. He... He actually taught us all about it in this book before it happened. So he's not shocked or surprised by anything that the devil is bringing on our day. And, and I, I, we can be so focused on that, but God's greatest concern is not that what, this, what the devil's doing because he's being allowed to do it. But I felt like what God shared to me that was so valuable to me is that the greatest concern on God's heart in these last days is that the church of Jesus Christ, the true bride, is not going to rise up to our responsibility on the earth in the days that we live in. I don't believe this is a day to cower down and hide in our churches. We've got a lot of the body of Christ that's behind their closed doors and inside their buildings crying out for Jesus to come back and, and, and saying, just get us out of this dark world. And God's saying, no, you're my plan A on this earth. The church, the true bride of Jesus Christ, that is God's plan to reach the people who are walking through these times with us. And when we have the heart, God, get me out of this. Uh, it's too hard. I don't want to walk through this. We're forgetting about all the people we would leave behind. And so I really believe when we look at faith for the future, we shouldn't be praying, God, get us out of this. We should be asking God, give me the faith, give me the strength, give me the ability to walk through these times, not limping and not just barely surviving, but walking through victoriously and shining the light as bright as we can in the darkness. And that that's God's heart for us, is to rise up and to wake up and to take our responsibility on the earth. And in that light, I really believe that these are the most exciting days that we could live in in the history of the world. I wouldn't trade my position to live back in the days of the book of Acts because we have an opportunity when the darkness is so much greater, when the devil is running ravaging on the world and doing all these things, we have an opportunity to shine brightly. And God chose for every person in this room to be alive right now. He chose for us to live through these times. It wasn't a surprise for him. And I believe there's a responsibility that lies on our shoulders when it comes to the future and, and what we're supposed to be doing. But in order to walk victoriously and walk with faith, I believe there are prerequisites to that. And this is really what I wanna get into in the message this morning. A, a prerequisite, you might be familiar if you've ever taken college classes, and you say you're a freshman, you're starting off, and you're like, I don't really wanna start off with the easy stuff, I wanna jump to English two or English three, and you go to, uh, to to try to get into the course and it's gonna tell you you can't do that, you have to take English one first, why? Because it's a prerequisite. It's something that's required as a condition for something else to happen. You have to have that in order to move forward. And I believe if we're gonna walk victoriously through these perilous times, there are, pre there are prerequisites on our lives and one of those is this area of separation. Of separation and that's what I wanna talk about this morning, the separated life. Sometimes I believe to get closer to God, to get to the place where God is calling us deeper in Him, we have to be willing to let go of some things and leave behind some things to, to have more of Him. And I truly believe there are places in God that we can't access any other way. I believe that there are things that we have to let go of in order to have what God, the life that God's had for us. Now, God amazes me the way He does things. I don't understand some of the things He does. And if we look in history, 
There are times in the scriptures where God clearly put the redemptive plan of mankind in the hands of men. I'll give you an example, Noah. When, when God decides to flood the, destroy the earth and flood them, there's one man he finds, a man who had favor in his sight, the scripture says. And this man, Noah, he says, I want you to build an ark, and only you and your family are going to go in. I want you to take all the animals, but I want you to build this boat. And I was thinking about it preparing for this message. Noah didn't have to say yes to that. Noah wasn't a robot who just had to do what God said. What if Noah had said no? What if the pressure of, of feeling out of place and feeling awkward and, and all the people who would have ridiculed him and mocked him, what if it just became too much and he didn't do it? Where would we be today? And, and 10 or 11 generations past Noah, we meet this amazing man named Abram. And, and God does the same thing, puts the entire plan, the whole plan of bringing Christ to the earth, he puts it in the decision of, of one man, of what he's gonna choose. Now it's interesting, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about Abram and how he and God met. I was trying to kind of read through scriptures and we don't get a lot. There's some, some Jewish traditions that were passed down that Abram's dad was a, a idol maker and there's stories of him trashing idols and we don't know what really happened there. But what we do know is at some point, God got a hold of this man's life. At some point, he was convinced that all the idol worship in his homeland was wrong and there was one true God and, and somehow there was this relationship developed to where the time came and God said, I want you to go from your country and go to the land I'll show you. And Abram has this amazing journey. He starts off in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And actually the, the, the biblical account actually in Acts 7 through um, Stephen the martyr tells us about how God spoke to him there. It says in, in verse two, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said and go to the land I'll show you. And it says he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And so we know that God's plan for Abraham was to bring him into Canaan. That was the, the promised land, but Abraham takes the first step and he moves from Ur of the Chaldeans and he ends up settling in Haran. But he's not quite at the promise. And, and how many of us in the church, God wants to call us to a certain place. He's given us promises. He's given us a, a, a picture of what he wants for us. And we make the first step, but we get comfortable and we just settle there. But God's trying to call us deeper. He's trying to call us into a place we've never been before. And, and in Genesis, it picks up the account in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I'll curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And so here we have Abram and Haran and God speaks and says, go to this land, I'm not gonna tell you where you're going, you'll find out. And so he leaves Haran and he sets off and, and in the pursuit of God. But there was a prerequisite on his part. Abram couldn't stay where he was at and receive the promise. God said, you have to go. You have to, you have to separate yourself from what's familiar in order to have what I, I have for you. And when Abraham came into Canaan, it was a much more difficult journey to get from Haran to Canaan because they had to cross the Euphrates River. And when he got into Canaan, they called him Abraham the Hebrew. 
And, and scholars believe that the, the word Hebrew is actually a root um, in the Jewish language for, for to cross over. And they believe that, uh, many believe that Abraham was actually, they were calling him Abraham the river crosser, the one who crossed over. And I think that's just a powerful truth that there was this dividing line between where Abraham was and into the promise and he had to cross over something. He had to make a, a decisive action to separate from all that was familiar to press on into what God had for him. And so despite knowing where he was going, despite breaking ties with family and friends, despite leaving what was comfortable and crossing the river, the amazing part of this story that's so commendable is Abram said yes. He said yes to God. He didn't know where he was going, didn't know what it looked like, but all he had was the command and the promise, and he says yes. And so I want to talk about that, that movement from what's familiar into unfamiliar territory in God through this idea of separation. Separation can be defined as the action or state of moving or being moved apart. In the natural, we separate things. I don't know if you knew this, it's interesting, but you can take salt water, which is one substance, it's salty water, and you can actually evaporate the water and you end up, the salt will be left behind. You have two different substances, water vapor and you have salt. And in the natural, that, that's a requirement. For, for something to be separated, a connection has to be broken between two things. You, you no longer have one cohesive whole. Now you have two separate things. And it's the same in the spiritual, that, that when our lives are enmeshed with something, there, there's a connection there. We're together with something in our life. When God calls us to separate, we have to make, there has to be a dividing line, put distance between us and this world or whatever it is we're separating from. There's, there's this understanding that separation means distance between. And before I get into some specific areas, I want to hit on this because I know there will be people in the church today, in the culture that we live in, that will hear a message on separation and they'll automatically throw up the red flag and say, you're preaching legalism. It's a common attack on people who try to walk holy. They say, you're just preaching legalism. So let me define that for a moment because true spiritual separation involves two things. And this is so important because people miss it on this. It's not just separating from something, but it's separating unto God. You can't just separate from something, and that's not true spiritual consecration. You have to also separate unto God. If you, if you take the Pharisees as an example, they had separation down to a T. They were, they were known for being separate from the world. Everything that the law said to obey, they obeyed. They kept away from all the unclean things. And in their hearts, they were dead. Because all they did was separate from. But in their hearts, they, they weren't separating unto God. That's why when Jesus looked at them, he said, you're full of dead men's bones. You're whitewashed tombs. Because all they had done, they had the first part down. But all it was was legalism and, and dead religion because they weren't actually separating their hearts unto God. And so you can't just write a list today. You can't just write down 10 things I wanna separate from and just get those things out of your life. And, and that, you can't just do that and, and, not, and avoid becoming legalistic. It has to be something that happens in a relationship with God that you separate your life unto him. You say, God, I'm getting rid of this, but it's to have more of you. And that's the twofold part of separation that's so important that many miss. So a safeguard when it comes to separation is just to remember that separation has to always be done in the context of a relationship. Spiritual separation should always be done in context of relationship with God. 
That's the best way to avoid becoming legalistic and following rules for rules sake, is you do it as you're walking with God. It's a journey with him and it's communication between you and him. So in your heart, if, if, if your heart is God, I wanna put distance between me and this thing in my life because I wanna have more than you. People can't, they can look at that and call it legalism, but it's not so. That's just a pursuit of God. That's just going deeper in him. And so I kind of wrestled with the Lord as I was preparing this message because I know many of you in this room have, have sat under Pure Life's teaching. Many have gone through the program. We've, we've heard a lot of this. We've, and I kind of had the impression that we, you know, we walked out of the program and most probably did a lot of what we were told to do. And so I kind of was asking the Lord, like, am I preaching to the choir this morning? And, and, and he gave me this phrase that I felt like was really encouraging. I felt like God said, he just wants to do a deeper work of consecration in people's lives. He wants to do a deeper work. So that means wherever you're at in the scale of, of living a separated life, there's always more. And so God this morning, no matter where you are, I believe he wants to move all of us, myself included, deeper into him. And so I want to take the remainder of the message and focus on three areas of separation. If, if we're looking at separation, I wanna look at it almost through three different lenses, three different angles of looking um, at the act of spiritual separation in our lives. And the first one, which is probably the most obvious, is a separation from worldliness. A separation from worldliness. I wanna read a couple of scriptures that'll be memory verses for most in the room. James 4.4. 4 says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Now, I used to read those scriptures as a person in the church, involved in church, in ministry, and my heart was so tied up in the things of the world, but when I read them, because of what I defined the world to be, I thought I was obeying it, because I wasn't doing the certain things that I thought were worldly. And you can read those scriptures and assume that you're following them, and, and, and until the Holy Spirit can really penetrate in and show you the worldliness that's in our lives. And as a church, Many group movements of the church used to take these verses very seriously. I've heard people growing up through the church, I've heard people talking about when they were young, they'd say things like, when we were young, people thought it was a sin to go to the movie theater. Or, you know, when we were young, people thought you'd go to hell for going to the dance clubs or whatever it is. And, and most of the time they're saying it in a derogatory way, like, like, thank God we got away from that. And I'm not saying in the church that people didn't take it to an extreme and that it didn't become legalistic rules. I'm not saying that, that everyone was entirely correct, but there was something in that, that the people, who, that our heritage and different groups used to believe that I wanted to stay so far away from the things of this world that there was such a distance that, that they made it almost like they were so far separated from it that they would ridicule people who were a part of it. But the thought of a Christian going to the movie theaters or being a part of the world was appalling to them. It was like they couldn't even understand how people could be wrapped up in those things. And what's happened is, and maybe in a reaction to legalism, the church has gotten so far away from that that we've swung the pendulum completely to the other side. I like to explain it this way. If, 
if there was a line right here, this is the attitude that I see, that I believe, especially in the American church, this is the attitude that most people seem to be. If, if there was a dividing line right here down the middle of the platform, and on this side, this side is pursuing God. It's the pursuit of God and his holiness. The deeper, the closer to that wall you get, the more of God you get. It's sold out Christianity. It's everything sold out to God in every area of my life. And on this side of the line, that wall represents completely given over to immorality and worldliness and completely sold out to sin and just a total slave. What most people in the church are trying to do, what I see and what I used to do in my own life, is to try to ask, how close can I get to this line and not cross over? How close can I get and not be in compromise? And that seems to be the bent of many people in the church is to look at all the world has to offer and to be lured into it and to be drawn toward that line and to be still constantly asking themselves, did I go too far? Is this wrong where I'm at? And I wanna to propose to you this morning, that's the wrong question to ask. The question should never be how close can I get to the world and not compromise. It should always be how close to that wall can I get? How close into the things of God? How close to Jesus can I get? How much can I divide my life? How much can I get to uh, more of God in my life? That should be the question that we ask when we're examining our lifestyles. It shouldn't be, is this wrong for me to do? It should be, God, does this thing in my life honor you? That's the most important thing, God. Is this honoring to you? But I believe that entertainment is the most socially accepted idol in our churches today. Leonard Ravenhill used to say that entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. When Christians lose their joy, when Christians lose that first love, when they lose that thing in God that's just drawing them to the prayer closet and into the things of God, they run to entertainment and they fill their lives. They go to church services and they, they hear the gospel preached and they, they respond and they go up to the altar and then they go home and flip on the TV and forget about everything that they just heard and put nothing to practice. I was talking with an elderly woman recently, a few weeks ago, and out of nowhere, she's just telling me, she's talking about she's too old to get out and go to church because of her health. And so she says, on Sunday mornings, I get up and I flip on my favorite TV preacher and I listen to these beautiful messages. And as soon as that's off, I flip the channel and there's a show I really like to watch. And she said, there's a lot of stuff that's not good in it. And she said, I feel so bad about it. But she said, I, I just, it's such a good show. It's funny. It's good. It's just a good show. And I feel like that's where the hearts of so many people are at, that Christians have a death grip on the things of this world. They have a death grip on it, and even when they're convicted by it, they have this attitude like, I'm, even though I know it's wrong, even though I know it's compromised, they just will, are refusing to allow the Holy Spirit to wrench that thing out of their hands. And, and we know a lot about this, because this is how Brittany and I, we used to live our lives this way. We, we, would, we thought we were pretty holy, in our community, in our church, we, we were the ones who, when there was a movie, we wanted to go see a movie on Friday night. We would say, okay, let's look up what movies there are, and we'd, we'd look at the ratings, and R obviously was like, we can't watch that, so PG-13, we'd find something. And we'd go to a website like kidsinmind.com that gives ratings for movies. And if you've ever been on there, they've got like, like a, a one to 10 bar for profanity, one to 10 bar for violence, one to 10 bar rating for, for sexuality. And we would, we would have these conversations that, that seemed like a good thing at the time. And I would, we would talk and say, okay, you know, let's look at profanity. Okay, it's a five out of 10. 
So it would list all the curse words. So it would be like, okay, well, the F word's in there two times. We'd be like, well, you know, there's a lot of movies with a lot worse than that. Well, I'd say like, how many times does it take the Lord's name in vain? Oh, well, only like three or four times. And we would read these ratings and what we were gonna put ourselves in front of. And we would look at the sexuality and we'd say, okay, well, there's an innuendo of a man committing adultery on his wife, but it doesn't show anything. And so our thing, we, we had this invisible line that we drew, that we drew of what we are allowing to, to, what we accepted as compromise or not compromise. And that's how we lived our lives, always never really asking God, what do you think about this? It was always about us and, and our, what we thought was okay. And, and it's kind of like the, the illustration the Lord gave me was, it's like sitting in a gas chamber and you're sitting in there and it's pure oxygen, you're just breathing and enjoying and someone comes and says, listen, you need to get out of here because we're gonna turn on the gas. There's gonna be poisonous gas that begins to seep into the room and it's gonna kill you. And it's like somebody saying, it's okay, don't worry, I'm only gonna breathe the oxygen, you can go ahead and put it on. I'm only gonna breathe the good stuff. And that's a lot like what, what we do. It's like, well, I'm gonna keep the world connected in my life. I'm gonna watch TV or movies or listen to secular music, but I'm only gonna allow the good stuff to affect me. And we have this idea that somehow we have the control in the situation when it's not true. The world's got the control. And it wasn't until I came to Pure Life five years ago when I set foot in the door and I was confronted with this lifestyle, this teaching, about the separated life that honestly when I walked in I thought they were all crazy. Maybe some of you had the same opinion. Maybe some of you still do, I don't know. <laughs> they taught about like separating from entertainment and all these things that they teach and I, I remember just thinking these people are crazy. Like they're out in this, the middle of the boonies in this ranch, like they're, they're disconnected from society, you know? Like they don't get what it's really like in the world. They've forgotten, you know, after all 30 years or whatever. And that was the attitude that I had. I really thought that they were like, they were legalism and they're taking it too far. I really just, that's what I thought. But I saw something in their lives that I wanted. And I saw God do something so rich and incredible in my life that when I left the program, I thought I could do one of two things. I can reject the teaching and go live the way that I did and hope this, thing's la this thing lasts in my life. Or I can actually believe what they're teaching me and I can just walk this thing out the way that they said. And I'm so grateful that I chose the second option just to walk it out because I got home. I lived with some aunt and uncle for three months but when I came home and began to live with my wife again and my daughter, I told her, I remember the conversation, we're sitting at the table and I told her, we have to get rid of TV. And she had the same look in her face that I had when I first heard about it. It was like, what are you talking about? And, and even though it was, it was this struggle, it was this thing, she knew what God did in my life and so she was willing to go with it because she couldn't deny what happened. And I truly believe that getting rid of the secular movies and, and the television, all those things, we got rid of it all, not Netflix or Hulu or any of that. We just got rid of everything. I believe it's the, the greatest spiritual decision that I've made in the last few years because it, it's kept our lives separated from the world system. And I believe that there's places in God, an intimacy with God that we can't get into, that we can't even tap into as long as the world has a dominant place in our lives. Abram had to let go of some things to follow God, and I, I guarantee it was painful. 
It was painful to walk away from family and friends. It was painful to go into a new culture. Uh, we had a taste of it on a small scale when we went overseas. I remember we, we sold everything on our house. We, we got rid of everything. We said goodbye to family and friends and we, we took off alone, just the two of us on an airplane with all our stuff that we had left. And the difference was we knew we were coming back, but Abram had no promise he'd ever be back. And so it was, it's a, sometimes separation is painful, but I believe that God's calling the church today who wanna walk through these times in faith, in, per, in these perilous times victoriously. I believe he's calling us to make a separation, a painful separation from the things of this world. One of the best illustrations I found about this that, I, that I've heard is, is David Wilkerson. Um, probably most of you would know his name, the, the founder of Teen Challenge and pastor of Times Square Church, who actually went on to be with the Lord while I was in the program. And I wanted to read, if you haven't read The Cross and the Switchblade, I encourage you. It's an amazing story of how God led this man. And it reminds me of Abram. He, he wanted to take David Wilkerson into a place he'd never been, into, into the New York City slums where the gangs were. And he had a calling on his life to bring him to this place. But the first thing that had to do was separation, that, that God had to separate him. And I want to just read a couple paragraphs out of this story about the experience he had. And his wife's name is Gwen. He said, it was late. Gwen and the children were asleep. I was sitting in front of the set watching The Late Show. The story somehow involved a dance routine in which a lot of chorus girls marched across the set in just visible costumes. I remember thinking suddenly how dull it all was. You're getting old, David, I warned myself. But try as I would, I could not get my mind back on the threadbare little story and the girl, which one was it, whose destiny on the stage was supposed to be a matter of palpitating interest to every viewer. I got up and turned the knob and watched the young girls disappear into a little dot in the center of the screen. I left the living room and went into my office and sat down alone in a heavy leather swivel chair. How much time do I spend in front of that screen every night, I wonder? A couple of hours at least. What would happen, Lord, if I sold that TV set and spent that time praying? I was the only one in the family who ever watched TV anyway. What would happen if I spent two hours every single night in prayer? It was an exhilarating idea. Substitute prayer for television and see what happened. Right away, I thought of the objections to the idea. I was tired at night. I needed the relaxation and a change of pace. Television was part of our culture. It wasn't good for a minister to be out of touch with what people were seeing and talking about. I got up from my chair and turned out the lights and stood at my window, looking out over the moonlit hills. Then I put another fleece before the Lord, one which was destined to change my life. I made it pretty hard on God, it seemed to me, because I really didn't want to give up television. And he, he puts this fleece before the Lord. He says, I want to put an ad in the, tele, in the newspaper. And within a half an hour of the ad running, I want someone to call and, and buy the television. If not, I'm not getting rid of it. And he tells Gwen in the morning, and she laughs and says, obviously, you don't really, you're not too serious about this. <laughs> and they watched the clock. The paper came and was delivered. And they watched the clock. And at 29 minutes, the phone rang. And a man asked him about the television. And he said, I'll pay full price. I'll be right over. And he sold his television. And it was in this time that he began to go into prayer. And in those times of prayer, when he was separated from the world, he saw the Life magazine with the gang members on it that, that drove him into the city and God called him in. And I was actually, I gave my life to the Lord 12 years ago, 13 years ago in a Teen Challenge Center. 
And so my heritage in Christ, my original spiritual roots where I first found Jesus and was set free from drugs and alcohol came from one, man, one's man, one man's decision to separate from television. And I wonder what if he had said no? What if he had, like so many of us have had impressions, what if he pushed it off and said, that's crazy, that can't be God. I don't know where I'd be. And so as we look at this area of worldliness, just ask yourself, Lord, what, what worldliness is still in my heart? What remnants of the world system is still there that you might be asking me to give up this morning? Because I believe God will put his finger on the places that, that he's looking at. Our lifestyles should look different than those. It's, it's a given that our life should look different than the world. That's obvious. If our lives look no different than the world, we should start back at square one and repent and give our lives to Christ. It has to be, there has to be a difference between us and the world. But in these days, there should be a difference between our lives and the rest of the corporate church because the church is living their lives, skating that line and trying to get close to compromise. So if our lives look no different than the person in the pew next to us, we need to examine our lives, say, God, is there something wrong? So the first one is separating from worldliness. The second area I wanna look at is from a different lens angle is separation from vanity. Separation from vanity. Because I believe God doesn't, he wants to move us from just asking, is this thing compromised or is this sin in my life? But he wants us to begin asking about our lifestyles. Is this thing beneficial? In 2 Corinthians 5.10, this is a, a scripture that causes me to tremble. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what's due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. One day, every one of us is gonna stand. If we're born again, we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're gonna give an account for everything that we did in our lives. There's gonna be a time where every word that we spoke, every time that we spent that was wasted, we're gonna give an account for it. In the 17th century, there was a woman named Madame Guyon. And I read her autobiography and she caught sight of this, this thing about vanity. And I wanna just read real briefly a section of her autobiography. And she's talking about reading books, her, her passion for reading books. She said, I loved reading to such excess, particularly romances, that I spent whole days and nights at them. Sometimes the day broke while I continued to read insomuch that for a length of time, I almost lost the habit of sleeping. I was ever eager to get to the end of the book in hopes of finding something to satisfy a certain craving which I found within me. My thirst for reading was only increased the more I read. And she closes the thought with this, books are strange inventions to destroy youth. If they cause no other hurt than the loss of precious time, is not that too much? If they cause no other hurt than the loss of precious time, is not that too much? Now here's a woman in the 17th century reading romances, which I guarantee weren't the quality of degradation that they can be today. And she looked at it and caught something that's so needed in our lives. She looked at it and said, even despite what's in them, isn't the fact that I'm just wasting my time away, that God's given me this time and I'm wasting it on something with no eternal value, isn't that enough to give them up? 
And she separates her life from that. And if you read her works, she has such an intimate relationship with God. And I'm not saying we don't have hobbies or enjoy our lives or God, God obviously wants us to enjoy things. It's just when those things overrule our walk with God and those things take more of a precedence over the things of God in our lives, that's when we have to be careful and we may need to separate. I read an article in, in 2014, they did a survey, they do these frequently about um, how Americans spend their time. And, and they found out an average American is awake for 16 hours, and 11 hours of that time is spent in front of electronic media of some kind. They say over four hours, almost five hours a day, the average American spends time in front of the television. An hour and a half on smartphones, which I guarantee has escalated since then. Almost three hours of, of hearing the radio in some form or fashion. They say the average American has five social media accounts, and spends over one, one and a half hours browsing these networks every day. And I guarantee these numbers are not a whole lot different in the church. And, and it's not necessarily that the things are wrong in and of themselves, but think about whether or not there's eternal value sitting on those things. How many of these things that we do in our lives have eternal value versus time spent with God or, or doing the things of God? And one of the most frightening statistics I found, if you think of it from this angle, let's take TV watching for instance. If you only watch TV for 2.8 hours per day, which is about half of the national average, at the end of your life, you'll have spent 9.1 years sitting in front of the television and have absolutely nothing to show at the judgment seat of Christ for that time. And so we need to ask ourselves, I ask myself this question, if, if someone was to take a, a similar survey of my life, if someone followed me around and, and, and tracked the minutes I spent doing different things and different activities, what would that look like at the end of the day or at the end of a week or a month? What does my life look like? Is my time being spent in a way that's, that's pursuing God and pursuing the things of God? Or have I filled up my time with things that don't have eternal value? It may not be media or it could be going to the gym. I know people in the world who wake up at four o'clock in the morning to spend two hours at the gym. Or it could be hobbies, it could be sports, whatever it is. How much more should we be making that time for God and making God the priority in our schedule? Where does he fit in? And the truth is, because I've heard this, and I've, I used to say this myself, people in the church will say, I just don't have time for God. I don't have time to do my devotions. I don't have time for prayer. But the truth of the matter is that people make time for what they love. We make time for what we love. If we really want something and we really love it, you better believe we're going to find a way to get it. And we have to return to have, ask the Lord to restore the passion in our hearts that God, that that same drive we have for the things of this world or our hobbies or our entertainment, whatever, that same hunger we have for that, that God would somehow find a way to tear those things out of our hands and to place that hunger in the kingdom of God. And so I want to look at our lives this morning and just analyze them and say, God, is there unbalance in my life? Where do you fit in my daily routine? Where are you in this picture? Are there things that, I, that at the end of my life I'm gonna appear before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ and have to answer? Am I gonna be ashamed for what I did with my life? And what I love about God is there's always, a there's always time to change. 
If you're here, it's not a condemnation message. This is a hope message because God would call us back into himself to give us the rest of our years pursuing him and on fire for him. And so the second thing was to separate from vanity. And the last one, I didn't have a good name for this category. I didn't know how to put a word to it. So I'm going to call it sacrificial separation. And it's not really asking, is this sinful or even is this a waste of time? But it's just a category of just giving to God some things that maybe God wouldn't require of anyone else. Just as a sacrifice. And it doesn't always have to make sense. I'm going to give a personal example. It's a little awkward because it's between me and the Lord, but I don't know how else to flesh this out to explain what I'm talking about. And so, so personally, I, in my life, from the time I was a young person and started to drink caffeine, I, I'm like caffeine junkie. I was the guy who had coffee in the pot in the morning, drank coffee all day, always Mountain Dew in my hand, sweet tea in the fridge, like anything caffeinated. And if someone offered me like decaf coffee, I was like, what's the point of that? It's just water. And I was like, I just loved it. And I really, truly enjoyed it. I don't know what it is about me. Brittany thinks it's crazy. My whole family's like that. They, everywhere they go, they got a drink in their hand. And so I just, I always enjoyed that. And, and it was um, about a few months after I got out of Pure Life, I had felt like God was dealing with me. And I kind of was pushing it off and wondering, is this God? And, and I was on a fast. And on my second day, I just had this realization, I'm supposed to give up caffeine. I'm not going to drink it anymore. And, and it was... God made it really easy, considering. It was like I just stopped drinking caffeine. And after about a year, I, I, I remember the joy that I felt of just obeying God in something that maybe no one else would have been asked to do. It was just this joy of like, I obeyed my father. He wanted it, he asked for it, and I just did it. And I, the, the, the pain of not having it was balanced out by the joy I had every time I thought about, I want caffeine. It was like, yeah, but I'm obeying God. And it was something beautiful. And, and after about a year, we had our second daughter and um, just something about the sleeplessness the rest you know how it is if you have kids you know the, the the lack of sleep I began to drink caffeine again and I prayed about it and I didn't feel horrible but in the back of my mind I just kind of wondered like why God asked for it and now I'm drinking it again and I kind of but it was probably for about a year I drank caffeine again and it was last August August 7th I was at a conference like this and the preacher was speaking about getting rid of things from our lives and he had an altar call. And I had one of those moments at my seat where I knew what God was gonna ask me for and I wondered if I wanted to go up. Like, (laughs) have you ever had one of those uh uh-oh moments? It's like, oh no, like I know what this is gonna be like. And I kind of just hesitated because partially I didn't want to give it up but I also wondered if I go up there, is it just an emotional response? Am I really gonna walk this thing out? Because I, at that point, was drinking caffeine all over again. My house was filled with caffeinated beverages. And, and like 2 o'clock, I went up to the altar. I said, Lord, if this is what you're asking, I'll give it to you. It doesn't really make sense all the time, but whatever. And that night, I went home, and I decafed our house. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. I, I dumped out all the coffee. I dumped out the tea. I, I threw out pop. I mean, everything. I just got rid of everything because I was like paranoid that I, I was, it was just an emotional response. But, but God, once again, allowed me to, to give that thing up. And, and I don't understand it all the way, and I'm not making a rule about caffeine, so don't, don't like, you know, go to beans and drink coffee and bless them, do all that. I'm not, 
I'm not anti-caffeine, but I'm giving an example of something. God sometimes requires things or asks for things that he may not ask of other people. And it, maybe it's just a test of obedience. I don't know what it is. But it doesn't always have to make sense. It doesn't have to be worldly. It doesn't have to be a waste of time. It may just be that God's just saying, if you want more of me, I want you to let go of that. And just to see how, how hungry we are. And so God may be putting his finger on something in your life, and I want to encourage you. It's anything God asks for, it's worth it to have more of him. It's a piddly thing to think that I'd rather hold on to caffeine than have more of Jesus in my life. And so it's great when, when God asks us to sacrifice, but I want the last thing I want to talk about is just taking it to a, a little bit of a deeper level. When we give to God and sacrifice to him uh, without him even asking, this area of fasting has been something very near and dear to my heart the last few years. And I never realized how important it was until my pastor um, had asked me about three years ago. We were sitting. He's, he's been my accountability partner. He walked me through restoration and, and just has been a spiritual father to me. And so he knows everything that goes on in my life. And, and I'm free and open and honest with him. And we were sitting there. And he, he asked me. He said, you've been free for a couple years. And you've walked in freedom. You've been doing really well. He said, what's, what's the difference? What, you know, what would you tell somebody? What's made the greatest impact in your life? Now, obviously, Jesus is the answer, but, but without even thinking, I said it's, my, it's a fasted lifestyle. A fasted lifestyle is number one on my list of, of how I've been able to maintain my freedom over the last five years. Fasting has been a regular part of, of the experience of God's people. I mean, you can go through the entire scriptures. And, and I found something out that's amazing that, that really impacted my life is that the early church... You know, the Pharisees used to fast two days a week. I don't remember what it is, like Wednesdays and Fridays, whatever it was. They picked two days. They fasted two days. When, when the Jewish Christians were getting born again and brought into the church, they didn't stop fasting two days a week. They just moved their schedule to two different days. So they would fast like Tuesday and Thursday because they didn't want to be confused with the Pharisees. But what I realized is that the early church didn't wait to feel led to fast. They, fa they, they did fast when they felt led. We have examples of that in scripture, but they didn't wait. They, they had a regular time of fasting in their lives. And I'm not saying that we should, we have to fast two days a week or not two days a week. I'm not making any rule. It's just interesting that the early church made fasting a priority, whether they felt led or not. And I know for myself, in the flesh, I absolutely hate fasting. I hate it, it's the, I dread it. It's not enjoyable, I don't look forward to it, but in the spirit, it, it does something that clears the atmosphere, that does something so beautiful that can't be put into words, but, but I just know it when I experience it. And so, I know it's not popular in our church culture, and it, we've kind of fallen away. Some, some areas, they still do it, but I believe it, it's so vital to being able to walk in faith for the future, is learning this thing of self-denial. I never really realized it before when I was given over to, to the world and the things in my life, but I've learned that, that teaching ourselves the simple, the simple lifestyle of being able to say no to me is a valuable spiritual discipline. It's a very valuable thing to be able to learn to tell yourself no. And most of the church doesn't understand that. But I believe as we move into these last days, as we're walking through these times, that, that we have to learn to live a separated life. And it may be uh, involving abstaining from things that are necessary. Food, you can't live without it. 
but for times and seasons to give to God and to say, Lord, on a regular basis, I wanna fast. And I just felt that in my heart, that this morning God is just gonna lead some people into that, that you'll, you'll be open to it. And, and I'd encourage you to do some research and, and make sure you know you're wise about things. There's things that you, that you need to do, but, but just be open to the Lord. Maybe he's gonna call some people into a fasted lifestyle. And so the three areas that we want to pray about this morning, the first was separating from worldliness, the second separating from vanity, and the third, this idea of sacrificial separation. We're gonna talk about in a moment, but I wanted to, to, to end this message with a warning. For those, those who've, who've lived a separated life will know exactly what I'm talking about, but for those who decide I wanna take this thing deeper, I wanna pursue God in this, there's a story in Judges 16, you'll remember um, Samson, the judge. And Samson, and, and he was called to be a Nazarite from birth. You know, he couldn't cut his hair and he couldn't drink any um, thing from the grapes and, and these kind of things. And he was called into this and, and the power over his life when the spirit of God would come upon him was part of him fulfilling that vow. And so if he cut his hair, the power would leave him. And there was a woman named Delilah who came into his life that he fell in love with. And the story goes that three times one night, she, she's trying to find out the secret of Samson's strength. And so three times she asks him what it is. And, and he, he tells her three different lies. And so she finds out that those aren't true. And, and finally, it says in verse 16 of Judges 16, it said, it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. And then in verse 19, that, and she lulled him to sleep on her knees and his strength left him. It's this picture of a nagging and wearing him down and continually pestering him about this thing to give up his source of strength. And, and the word Delilah in Hebrew actually means to slacken. It means to slacken, to take it easy, to ease up. Uh, David Wilkerson used to call it the spirit of Delilah that we experience in this age. It's this thing that's there, and I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but it's this thing when you try to go deeper into God and to separate your life, it's this thing that's there to say, you don't really have to be that extreme. You don't have to go that far. You don't wanna be a fanatic. That, that voice that's there, sometimes it comes through people that'll tell you those things verbally, but sometimes it's this inner battle that you'll face. It'll, it'll tell you, surely God wouldn't really require that of you. Look at the church around you. No one else is living like that. Why should you do it? It's, it's the spiritual um, resistance to pushing into God. And I wanna encourage you this morning, now is not the time in these days to back off in our pursuit of God. Now is not the time to ease up, to slacken off. Now is the time to press in greater than ever before and to make commitments saying, God, no matter what you ask of me this morning, God's gonna ask some things of people this morning. I believe that with all of my heart. But to say, God, I'm committed to more of you. Whatever that looks like, whatever you're putting your finger on, it's worth it to have more. As we prepare for the altar call, I want to read an excerpt from a tract that Leonard Ravenhill used to give out to people called Others May, You Cannot. Others May, You Cannot. I wanna read an excerpt and this sums up what I wanna say. It says, if God has called you to be really like Jesus, he will draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility. 
God's call will put, put such demands of obedience on you that you will not be able to follow other people or measure yourself by other Christians. At times, he will let other people do things which he will not let you do. The Holy Spirit will put a strict watch over you with a jealous love. He will rebuke you for the little words and feelings or for wasting your time. So make up your mind that God is an infinite sovereign and has the right to do as he pleases with his own. He does not owe you an explanation of these mysteries. But if you give yourself to be his child, he'll wrap you up in a jealous love and give you the precious blessing for those who belong heart and soul to him. Settle it forever then that you are to deal directly with the Holy Spirit. It's his option to tie your tongue or chain your hand or close your eyes in ways that he does not seem to use with others. And when you're so possessed by the living God that your heart delights over this peculiar, private, personal, jealous guardianship and management of the Holy Spirit over your life, you will have found the vestibule of heaven. Abram, when God called him in order to walk into the promise, he had to separate. He had to make the decision, a distinct decision. I'm leaving everything that's familiar behind. I'm leaving my comforts. I'm leaving family and friends and, and, and everything that ties me to that old life. I'm leaving it and I'm moving on to have the promises of God. And it's no different for us if we're going to walk in our responsibility in these last days. If we're going to walk victoriously in faith and we're going to really pursue God with everything in us, we've got to be willing to separate. We've got to be willing to cut things out. What if Abram had refused? What if Abram had said, no, the price is too high. I'm too comfortable where I'm at. Things are doing good. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm successful. What if he had told God, no, God was looking to establish a nation for the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, to come through. Maybe God would have found somebody else. I don't know how, how it would have worked, but Abram was a man who said yes to God. And what if we refuse this morning? What if the Holy Spirit is tugging on our heart in some area and we have the attitude, God, the cost is too high? I don't want people in our church or in the world around me to think that we're weird because it'll happen, believe me. I don't want... I don't want people to think I'm just a legalist or one, you know, one of those old, I'm just old fashioned or out of touch, whatever it is, or, or it's just too painful of a separation. It's something so enmeshed with my life, I can't imagine life without it. What if God calls and we say no? What might we lose out in God? But what if we said yes? What if we said yes to God this morning, said, Lord, whatever it is, it's not worth not having more of you. Think of what we could gain. Think of what could happen if a group in this room right here gave their lives fully to Jesus, said, God, you can have anything that you want. Nothing is worth pulling my life back from you. And they just went head first into God and said, I'm gonna be the person that's pressing in this direction and forgetting what's behind me, the cross before me and the world behind me and press on to Jesus. What if somebody got a hold of that this morning and went out there and lived that out? It will impact the culture around you, I guarantee it. Not everyone will be excited in your church if you live a deeper consecrated life, but I guarantee there are those who will look and they will maybe watch you for a distance, but there will be those who will see the example and they will follow you. 
It will happen because there is a remnant in these last days that God will have his remnant. And so as, as we have our altar call time right here, just the Holy Spirit's the best at doing this. I'm just gonna say, just examine our lives and ask God, is there worldliness? Is there vanity? Is there an area of sacrifice? What is it that you're asking? What are you specifically asking for to accommodate more of you in my life? And I wanna ask everyone just to bow your heads for a moment and, and spend just a minute or two before we open up the altars. And I wanna just give the Holy Spirit a moment to, to speak to us. I know there's some in this room you already know. The moment you heard the topic, you already, the, the Holy Spirit already awakened you. You already know what it is. And you may be having an oh no God moment right now, wondering, God, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if it's too hard. What if it's an emotional response or all those things that go through your mind? There may be those in this room that the spirit of Delilah is already at work saying, don't listen. It, this is not the time to press in. Just ease up, lighten up. You don't have to do what, what, what God's asking you to do. Maybe there's those in a battle right now, and maybe there's those who are just open and saying, Lord, speak to me. I wanna give just a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts about areas that maybe he wants to deal with, and then we'll open the altars for, for those to come down and pray. Over the past three weeks, we've listened to several messages which have encouraged us to develop a deeper relationship with God and to re-examine where we're putting our hope and our trust. The coronavirus has certainly challenged all of us. Where will we go when times are tough? What will be the source of our stability, of our security, or of our happiness? I hope that you are allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you, to separate from areas of distraction or compromise, and to turn to Jesus where there is true and lasting joy, because that is where we are going to find the strength to see us through. If you're interested in hearing more from Dustin Renz, you can check out his website, makewayministries.com. There you can find his published books, online materials, or invite him to come speak in your area. That's all for this episode of Purity for Life, and we'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.